Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're live. <laughs> uh, and as you know, yes, we, we, we pulled it off here. Uh, Tony, if you're watching online somewhere with your sister weekend, uh, I made it. <laughs> uh, or we made it. So a uh, couple things. Uh, the book has been shipped. It's in South Chicago on Friday. They scheduled the delivery for Monday. So uh, sometime tomorrow I'm going to get a text about an hour before the semi pulls up and then we'll be able to get, Tony will be here uh, and I might be able to get here. Uh, but then they're going to bring in eight pellets. We've got eight pellets are going in the garage. So uh, that they're going to have to get distributed. It's like hiding an elephant in the house. I'm going to have to like stack them without anybody being able to see where they're all at. Uh, because Tony's going to need a garage. I can't take her garage. And yeah, yeah we've, we've done that before. Uh, why is all the furniture moved away from the wall? Well, don't look behind. Uh, but tomorrow night, because we've got Bible study tomorrow night and we're doing the book of Mark, I think uh, it would be good uh, if, you, if you come. I'll just give you a book, and then we'll just preview the book. Just turn some pages, look at it. Uh, not really teach the book, but just kind of show you some highlights in it because, well, I'll be excited about it. Uh, and I worked all summer. I want to show people the book, and I think, you know, and then you can, when you leave, you, uh, you don't need to leave an offering, but you do need to take two boxes with you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's better to give than to receive because uh, we got to get rid of them so Tony can park your car in the garage. But yeah, I wouldn't mind if you took a box or two with you, if you want to. If you don't want to, you do, do not have to. Uh, and then just hand them out, and just whoever wants. Because I think it might be a book that uh, people will like, they'll want. Uh, if you're watching online, just send me an email to gw at generationword.com. Give me a mailing or shipping address. Tell me how many books you want. If you want a box, uh, ship you a box and you can distribute them. But gw at generationword.com, uh, the New Jerusalem book, full color, 312 pages, 700 photos, diagrams, maps. I did a lot of labeling of the pictures. There's one thing to show a picture and then put a little description underneath it. But there's another thing to start drawing arrows and circling and pointing at what you're looking at. I, I, the whole, the pool of Bethesda opened up for me this time studying because if you've ever been there and looked at it, there's so many layers of, of it goes back to the Old Testament times, New Testament times, and then here comes the Byzantine and the Romans were there before the Byzantine, or the Byzantines were Christianized Romans. But there's just layers, and the Muslims come, the Crusaders come, and they keep building on it. So when you look at it, it's just like, what? it just ruins upon ruins upon ruins. There, This is the Pool of Bethesda, where the lame man was laying, and Jesus, you know, healed him. It's like, where was he laying? It's just a bunch of broken rock. It makes no sense whatsoever. Well, this time, I, I spent a little more time looking at it, and there had been more ex ex excavation done uh, the last time I was there. And I was able to find in the diagram, and I'm pretty excited about it, the steps of the first century pool. Uh, and you can see very clearly, uh, like they have like, there'll be a long step and then a step down, a long step. And it goes down like this and just continues. And also on the other side, same thing, continuing down. Uh, that's not very good because the, where the water level was, the water level would be higher depending on where the water was. You would lay, the layman would be laying like here and then trying to get down into the water. 
it was a place of known for healing for a variety of reasons. But it, it, the, the, what you can see there is the same thing you see on the south side of the city, the Pool of Siloam, which is very clear, uh, a mikvah. It's a, a square, a rectangle. All four sides go like that. And so that's something I'd like to show it to you. Also, uh, in April of this year, they removed the, uh, the stone, the marble stone on Jesus' tomb that, that was laid there, uh, you know, in, I don't know, 1500s, 1300s or something. And they pulled it off, and they could see another stone covering from the days of the Byzantines, probably around 300 uh, when 325, when Constantine was there with a, a cross on it, you know, they carved on it, and they moved that out. A National Geographic and a, a museum, a, an institution from France, did this together. Everybody's absorbing, videotaping it, and then they found the burial bench of Christ. And again, I, boy, I can't go into the whole detail, because what it was, was at one time it was a, a mound, that's a, that's a, a rock, a mound, and then they'd, they'd carve a tomb inside. There'd be like a little doorway for a tomb. And you'd go in there. Inside there, there'd be little niches and stuff. Joseph of Arimathea was cutting a tomb. Well, you, as you know, they'd lay a body on a bench inside there until it was decayed. Then they'd put it into an ossuary. Okay, I'm trying to draw a, a square there. An ossuary, a, a stone box. They'd put the bones in there about a year later and put it on a shelf. And this burial bench would be open again for somebody else. Uh, and so Joseph Arimathea wasn't giving away his tomb. He was letting Jesus use it. He would put his bones in a box, and then Joseph eventually would use the same burial bench, and then a year later his bones would be put in an ossuary box and put on a shelf in the family tomb. Okay, that's what, that's, that was there. Well, it got covered up by a Hadrian built over this site, built a, a, a mound, covered the hill up, and built a pagan shrine up on top of this in 135 B.C. When Constantine came, and it was, it was covered up, you couldn't even see it. When Constantine came, he asked the Christians, where was Jesus buried at? They said, well, it's under this pagan shrine. And so Constantine took all the dirt away, all the fill away, and they found and identified the tomb of Christ. Now the question is, it, was, it makes sense, but the question is, how did they know it was the tomb of Christ? I mean, was there some kind of marking there? Surely, like we talked about the house of Peter on two Monday night, and, and you were telling me about the things that they found there that identified it. You know, I showed you something. There's a lot more information that Steve was sharing with me. That they found graffiti there from the first century. You know, a lot, lot not like bad graffiti, but Christian symbols and different things that this place was used as some kind of a church. Well, there may have been some kind of symbols there from the very first century because right away they came the first day to the tomb. Uh, they may have put some markings there or something during the, the first century. But anyway, somehow they identified. Then what Constantine does, oh boy, this is getting way off subject. What Constantine does is you've got this hill. He cuts away this hill. Like cuts this side away. Cuts this side away. And then cuts this down and maybe cuts some kind of a, a peak on it, a roof on it like this. So now you've got a stone building around the tomb of christ the, this whole all the, the it used to be a quarry that's all been removed so all you guys this little house and you can see these in the in the uh uh kidron valley i'm trying to see if we got a picture here they've got like standing uh tombs they just carved right out of the rock they're still attached to the rock this the rock's been cut away they're decorated they've got you know uh base cut on them and stuff 
Anyway, in fact, okay, he's got this cut here in this, this house. Then he builds a big church around it, and that's like the front of the church. I mean, you can see, like you'd be sitting here, then right here behind the, the service would be the tomb of Christ. And on that side would be Calvary, and you'd have like, it was a big basilica, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Well, in 1009, the Muslim caliphate came by and just crushed this all, just crushed it, just broke it all down, crushed it all down. And all this rubble fell in on top up here, so it was all just like rubble, until the crusaders come, and the crusaders recapture the city, and they start moving the rubble out. And what they found, they found the burial bench yet, and that's what's honored. And then they, they built some kind of a little shack, little building over it that you can see. It looks ridiculous today. You go in there and you look at it today, it's like, this makes no sense at all. Um, but when you understand the history, it makes complete sense. Well, with this excavation they did in April of this tomb, they found, uh, they found the burial bench, the limestone burial bench, but they also found part of this wall of the building, little shack that Constantine cut out that was still intact. They found the wall on this side up a certain height, right over here. And so they, they, this was original inside because what the Crusaders did, they built like, they put like marble slabs up over this and covered it up. And it's been like that ever since. But when they looked at it, you can actually now, they even cut a window in one of the marble slabs of the Crusaders where you can see some of the stone of the rock of the tomb of Christ on the wall. That's brand new. That's brand new information. Then they covered it all, put it all back together. And that's not even skepticism. I mean, that's, you can't, that's like science. And you say, well, that's not the tomb of Christ. Well, maybe not, but it's definitely from the first century. It was definitely honored by the Byzantines. It was definitely been preserved since they found the first century. This is from the time of Christ, and it's been covered up. Now, what I also have on the back side of this, it'd be like this is the front. On the back side of this, you can still see the molding from the base of the structure that Constantine had carved out of the rock, and it's, it's a little, t little shrine on the backside. No, hardly anyone knows it's there, but I went in and got, a pig, got down on my hands and knees and touched it, you know, of course, you know, because it's cool to touch the ancient relics. Uh, that's why I'm a little, you know, holier and got more anointing. No. But, uh, but, I, but I, got, I, did get a, I did get a picture, you know. And there's a priest sitting right there. It's a, I think it's a Coptic uh, sh shrine. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's, there's a priest sitting there all the time, and no one really knows what's in there. But you can go, it's on the back side of what Constantine cut out. You can still see the original stone from 325 that they cut out. So I got some of that kind of stuff in there. That's, that's kind of update. I mean, that's like recent uh, from April, uh, at least the uncovering of the stone. Uh, stone. Anyway, I'll get you some books hopefully tomorrow, and some of that stuff is in there. And uh, then I think, well, at some point, we'll go through the book on, like, here on a Tuesday night or Monday night. Uh, I, we got to talk about when we're going to, if we're going to interrupt, finish the book of Mark, or we're going to interrupt the book of Mark and spend some time. It's 312 pages. I mean, you're looking at, I just introduced it here and burned up a bunch of time. Oh, you know what I don't have? I don't know what time it is. See, Tony always puts a little clock up there for me. This may go on all afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> unless unless you can tell me what time it is so uh let me know like at uh you know i don't know you can just interrupt me like at, at quarter till say you got 15 minutes you know 10 minutes 
five minutes. Or if I don't stop, you just say, okay, we got to go eat. Just, just start walking out, and when you're gone, I'll just shut off the, wait, there might be somebody still watching online. I'll just keep talking. Okay, we're in Hebrews. We're in Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, I think there's some things. We, we introduced this, these verses last week. We talked about them. But there's some things I want to go through and explain them in a little more detail because I think we're into now, in chapter 12, we're into Christian application. We're into the Christian life. Uh, chapter 11, of course, was about the faith, you know, trusting, believing God, believing the promises. Up and leading up into that was kind of talking about the comparison between the old covenant and the new covenant. You have a, a better covenant, a better priest, a better sacrifice. Uh, you've basically got a better deal than they had in the Old Testament. So go with the new covenant instead of the old covenant. Keep having faith in Christ. And so it was ba- a lot of it was theology and comparison, talking to the Jews in Jerusalem in 63 AD. And finally, especially after chapter 11 when we talked about these heroes of faith and we realized some of these people are morally flawed i mean some of the heroes of faith they just all the failures they had as far as the their activity their deeds their attitude sometimes but yet they always came out on the other side with faith and confidence in god say well how can they be a hero of faith without having a a moral perfect life it's like well okay we look at ourselves it's like we have faith then we look back at the the train wreck of our decisions and all the failures we've had it's like I've got faith in God. I don't have faith in me. Uh, and so it's like oh, there's, there's a, not room for sin. There's not room for error. But sin and error is part of the human experience, and we're moving towards Christ. But during this lifetime, we do need to start making progress in what we call sanctification, of, of becoming more holy, of becoming more like God, as we go through this transformation. And now finally in chapter 12, uh, we start talking about this moral transformation, this, this conf, conf, uh, transformation into Christ or the sanctification. Uh, we'd say the second phase of salvation. And so uh, chapter, 12, uh, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through, say, 13 are talking about uh, uh, God disciplines us, that we go through hard things, but all that stuff leads us towards God. We have faith in God. It continues to help us uh, trust god but also endured hardships as discipline and then in verse 12 we begin to talk about some moral issues right here and so here we are i'm going to read through these verses uh in fact i may read to the end of the chapter and then come back and explain some things so i'm going to try to read straight through this of course here we go chapter 12 in the niv uh verse 12 therefore because all these things that we've talked about up to this point are true therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees make level paths for your feet that's a quote so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed make again as we read this here i'm already making comment we're talking not just about you as an individual but you as an individual living amongst the community of christians so this can apply to you individually but maybe you, you see we have in a sense two groups of people we have the strong and we have the lame Sometimes you're the lames. We're all the lame at some time, the weak and the lame. So strengthen yourself. Get up and, and make your path straight. But at the same time, maybe you're walking the walk and you're talking the talk. You're living a strong life. But there may be those in the community who are struggling, maybe looking back at Judaism, maybe struggling with sin. We need to do everything we can to help make the path to God straight and level. Not just for ourselves, but for those around us. So the Christian experience is not an individual experience. It's a, a community experience. Um, 
So make every, uh, therefore, uh, make, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Again, hear the community attitude in there. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could not bring about, he could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched. Now we go Old Testament, New Testament comparison here, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. You have not come to a mountain, a physical mountain that can, can be touched and that is burning with fire. God descended a theophany to, into darkness, gloom, and storm. That was what was circling around that mountain as God entered the natural world. To a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. Whenever angels would appear to people, uh, they're always afraid. I mean, we talk about, well, if I saw an angel, that would be so cool. People that had an encounter with an angel, let alone an appearance, a theophany of, of God, were terrified. I mean, I mean, again, I don't want to use an illustration that's ridiculous, but it'd be like you're out, you know, in, in, in the woods somewhere, and then this spaceship settles right in front of you. It's like, oh, this is normal. I mean, you'd be terrified, you know, an alien invasion. Well, that's what an angelic visit, I'm not saying angels are a- aliens, but that's another conversation. But if god would just intervene or an angel were to appear uh they're they're begging on mount sinai the people were begging that no further word be spoken stop you're scaring us we don't want to go see this you know we think we'd all be taking videos of it putting on you know social media and stuff they're like just panicking and no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded for example how severe was it if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stone. Now, if an animal touches it and it must be stone, what happens if you look at it too long or you hear it too long? How bad is this going to, are we all going to perish right here? The sight was so terrifying that Moses says, I am trembling with fear. So even Moses, who eventually went up to meet with God, I mean, and now imagine the courage. Uh, God says, come up here, Moses. It's like, no one even wants to look at this, but Moses, come here. It's like, I mean, the courage of him walking up into that fiery situation. Well, that's not what you've come to. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. I mean, there's a community there waiting. There are already people there that are the spirits of of righteous men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. He's there advocating for you. And to the sprinkled blood of that, sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Now here, this is verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Today he's speaking to you. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them uh, on earth, that's Old Testament, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? If you walk away from this, you're in huge trouble. There's no other option. At that time, his voice shook the earth, 
But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now we looked at these verses in Haggai. Now they're referring back to him and bringing him, catching up to this, this time in 63 AD. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Again, we got the idea of God being kind, patient, indeed he is, that's what he's offering, but you've got to come through it the right way. He's offering you peace, he's offering you acceptance, tolerance, he's accepting you the way you are, but you're going to have to come and then begin the transformation. You're going to have to begin drawing close to God because uh, he's willing, he's gracious, but if you come the wrong way or you come and say, well, I'm, I'm going to come, but I'm not going to change, I'm good enough the way I am, understand he is a consuming fire that is going to be consuming the entire earth he's going to train all the kingdoms are going to be burned away all the the leadership is going to be taken out all those who've rebelled against him are going to be removed if you think you can come to god and bring it bring your own deal your own contract your own own personality i'm good enough understand that is going to get consumed it's a consuming fire he's willing to accept you but you've got to go through the transformation to become like him he's given you the life he's given you the spirit but now we're working on in a sense the morals the sanctification the holiness of becoming godlike and so now let's go back to uh let's look at the notes very quickly this is now in the english standard same notes as last time i've got a chart on the very back page that's a little more a little more detailed than it was last week uh, chapter 12 uh verse 12 therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees uh, these are references I've got them written down there, like from Isaiah 35. Uh, uh, the idea of strengthening the feeble arms and weak knees. The arms are for doing the things of God. The knees are for walking the walk. If, your arm, if you're not strong enough to do the work, you need to make your arms stronger. If your knees are, are, are too weak and, and not walking the right way, you're not going to be able to walk the walk. So it's going to be doing the work and living the life that God's called you to. And these are come out, come out of Proverbs chapter 4. I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 4. I kind of left off here last week, right about here, Proverbs chapter 4. Uh, beginning, I'm going to begin in verse 20 through 27, and you can hear these words. Uh, and just This is, in, in Proverbs, the advice given uh, as far as living a moral life before God. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart. In other words, guard what, what you think. Guard what is your, your foundation. Guard your worldview. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The way, way you look at things, the way you understand things, if you're hooked up with the truth and reality, that's going to continue to produce. If you separate it from truth, if you separate it from reality, you're a, a dead branch. Th there's no life. You're, you're just going to continue to decline, which is concerning. There's, there's, there's victory and defeat in that statement as a culture. People in our culture are separating from reality and truth, or they have as, as a nation, as a, philo a cultural philosophy. Well, we're dead. I mean, it's like we're just going to get worse and worse. The decline is going to continue. What they promise, if you separate from the life and you promise, ah, something good is going to happen, 
It's not. I mean, you can have empty words, but as time goes on, it's going to prove that's not true. You have separated from truth and reality, and you're in decline. But at the same time, that would be the negative side. The positive side is, if someone were to continue in truth and reality, you're going to have a chance later on, or on the flip side, to show, to demonstrate, we are in the truth. We are living. We are producing. It's a life stream. One thing leads to the next thing. It's growing. And so it may not be in our generation, but if we can hand the truth to the next generation, they will pick up and they'll begin to produce the fruit. Uh, you can just imagine the Christians and how they are persecuted, you know, in, in this book, Hebrews 63 A.D., and at other times in history, and they just continued with the truth. They were persecuted. Those that were coming against them with their falsehood and, and false worldviews, uh, they tried to oppress them, but they just continued in the truth. Eventually, those died out because there's no life in them, and Christianity progressed. Uh, it, it continued to, to bear fruit. And same thing right here. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Now, perversity could be a wide range of things. You could think of, uh, and the next one, keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Now, you could go very shallow in that. You know, don't say bad words, you know. Uh, uh, don't be negative, you know. That, that's, that would be true. But also, perversity and corrupt talk would be the advocating of false philosophies, the advocating of things that are not true, of like, uh, if, if you're a, a speaker, if you're, if you're a speaker, it can be uh, as a parent. It can be as a teacher in a classroom of, of teaching whatever subject. It can be of a leadership in some kind of a business. Uh, you're giving directions for a, a, a corporate board. Or it may be you're a speaker going around addressing in universities, colleges, and your talk is not just you're using foul language or have a negative attitude, but you're, pre you're presenting, your speech is presenting these false worldviews. You're presenting things that are not truth, but lies or deception. You're not presenting things that are in reality. Keep that stuff, don't let that stuff come out of your mouth. Keep it far from your lips. Don't repeat those things. Let your eyes look straight ahead. The ideal is looking straight ahead towards the goal in front of you. That matches what we're talking about in chapter 12. Jesus, keep your eye on Jesus. He's the one that's gone before. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Just keep your eye on Jesus, and that is where the truth is at. That's where the life is at. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Watch, here's that verse. Make level paths for your feet, meaning do everything you can to smooth that course out that you're running. We're running a race. Chapter 12, uh, we're running the race set out before us. So do everything you can. Get the stones off the track. You know, no one has a track. I mean, there's, there's litter on the track and, and stones and gravel that's fall on the track, uh, you know, snow, whatever. They, they clear the track. They make the track as smooth as possible. Do everything you can to make your race smooth. Don't make it more. Now, we're going to talk about how you make your race difficult. Now, again, life will provide things that are challenging. I mean, that, that's, that's earlier in chapter 12. These hardships, consider them discipline. You're, you're learning how to run through difficulties. But you yourself, there's some things you can do that make the path straighter or smoother for yourself. Or you can provide not just hardships coming from life, but you yourself can do things that make the race harder for yourself. And we'll look at those here in just a moment. So make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. And so that's where those verses come from. That's Proverbs chapter 4. 
at the bottom of page one, we got those things written down right there. Pay attention to wisdom. Guard your heart. Do not let talk perverse or corrupt. Look straight ahead. Make level paths. Do not swerve. Uh, keep your feet from evil. Uh, and then again, so that why? So that the lame may be disabled, or excuse me, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed is what the writer of Hebrews says. And again, that could be you. You could be the lame person, and the lame person is identified here in, the, in this next part. They're, they're, they've got weak arms and weak knees. So that may be you. So do whatever you can to make your arms strong so you can do the work, your knees firm so you can walk the walk. But it may also be others. And that's chapter 12, verse 14, right here. Chapter 12, verse 14. It could be talking about yourself, but it could be talking about those in your community of believers. Now here, we're now, we're, there's two groups that we interact with. And, and the Bible makes it very clear because there's standards. You, 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 you live among, you, you, you function among, you minister among other believers. And there's a certain standard of behavior there. Then you also live among unbelievers, and there's a certain standard you have there. Not that the truth is changing, but it's just like, are you coaching, you know, the basketball team, or are you teaching the history class? I mean, they're, they're, you have different standards by which you're trying to perform. And I think right here, we're talking here, first we're talking about yourself, but also now your group you're ministering to is believers here. We're not talking here uh, about the world although there could be you know as you're ministering to him trying to get him over here there's going to be overlap but here it is chapter 12 verse 14 strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the lord now we're going to begin a list of things on how to make your path straight uh, how to strengthen your arms and and i'll just say and knees so these are things you want a paths that are straight you want arms and knees that are strong so you can run the race but also there's going to be others with you that are going to have they may have weak arms or weak knees and they're they're struggling themselves the first thing that's said right here i'm going i got this on a list in just a moment so i'm not going to write it down right now but the first thing is strive for peace with everyone we'll look at that first is peace and then holiness, we're going to identify holiness, I'd make it simply this way, is doing things the way God intended. It's sanctifying, your, you've been set apart from God, so do the things the way God intended, for, with, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Uh, we'll talk about that. Go to page, or, not, or next verse, chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Uh, now, we're going to assume that the writer is talking to people who have received the grace of God, but he's in making this path straight. There may be others that haven't received the grace of God, or they're missing it. They don't understand it. Uh, grace would be God's favor, God's free gift. God loves you. God cares about you. God is working for you because of who He is, not because of what you're doing. Now you're supposed to be transformed into His image, but you could miss that grace and start thinking you're trying to earn it. You're like you're going to do these things to make God happy. It's like, that, that's, don't, that would be just an example of how that could be applied. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Notice there, a root of bitterness springs up, and now it's going to cause trouble and defile many. We'll look at that. Um, chapter 12, verse 16, 
that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal, and sexually immoral, it is the word pornea, which refers to uh, fornication, and someone actually uh, uh, selling themselves or giving themselves into some form of prostitution. Uh, and unholy would be, another word would be ungodly. In other words, you're trying to enter this realm of, of reality, but without going through reality. You're trying to live in truth, but you're not living in truth. It would be actually saying, I'm okay, you're okay, we're going to go and do this this way, but it's like that's absolutely the wrong way. It's ungodliness. You're, you're going to say, we're going to be godly people or good people, but we don't need God. We don't need truth. We don't need reality. I will tell you what is good. And it may sound good because you know, a lot of the, 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 the fruit of godliness would be good things. It's, it's life. It's productivity. It's these things. That, this is what God is. You say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to show you how to be productive, to have a, a good life, how to find completeness and purpose. But we're not going to do it this way. What you're doing, you're cutting yourself off from the branch and coming over here into this false reality and making promises, but you, you're not going to be able to do it. That would be ungodly. For someone to say, right, we, we, want, those, we want the fruit of God, but we're not going to do it God's way. We're going to get the fruit over here. Well, now you're ungodly, and you've separated yourself from the branch. It's very similar to the, the Garden of Eden right there. God says, don't. They say, Satan says, no, no, you need to. Verse 12, verse 17, for you know that afterward, when it's talking about Esau, who was sexually immoral and unholy, who sold his birthright. You can see right there, he had this birthright, but he, he, he wanted something, but he didn't want, to want the covenant. He didn't want the, the truth. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he wanted the blessing. He just didn't want to do it God's way. He was rejected, and for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And that's what you've got happening in, in, in throughout history, especially in our culture, we're saying no to God, no to truth, no to reality, but we do want these things. We want equality. We want prosperity. We want peace. But we're not going to do it with truth and reality. We're going to do it over here. It's like, then all of a sudden, it's like you, you've sold yourself into this, and it's like there's no fruit here. There's no life here. Well, we want, we want, it's like <laughs> you're here. You can't, you're, you're dead. You've cut yourself off from reality. And Esau cut himself off and said, I'm going to do it this way. Well, you're not going to get it. It's gone. It's like, yeah, but I, I want it. It's not here. You've gone down this tunnel, and there's nothing in this tunnel. You had to stay over here. And that is the idea here of these, this concept of we need to live this way. Uh, I want to look at uh, when it says strive for peace with everyone and for, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, chapter 12, verse 14. The idea of uh, strive for peace with everyone. I want to take a moment and go to Romans 14, because that is a, if we're talking about community, if we're talking about living in a community, now when I talk about community, I'm talking here about other believers, and if it be in a, in a church, if it be in, in, in your workplace, it, wherever your life intersects with other believers, this is the community of people, the Christians that you have for fellowship. And you are a gift to that community, and there are gifts in that community for you that's it's a body it's working together but 
Paul is going to talk about the same peace uh, in this community. And it, like, like it says right here, the writer of Hebrews says, uh, strive for peace with everyone or make every effort. Uh, that, that idea, make every effort, I've got it written down here in the notes. It means to hunt, to follow after, to pursue. So number one, whatever you can do, hunt this peace down, pursue this in this community. Now, when we say peace, that, that right, even in our world, that's got a false understanding. Peace means don't make problems. Just get along with people. Just be nice and don't cause commotion. Be more like Christ. Right, because he made no problems. He, he never rocked the boat. I mean, he said right up, he says, don't think I've come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Because there is an enemy out there. We're dividing from the enemy. But over here, where we're go- when we're going this direction, we want to keep peace. The ideal is we're going this way. Now, if someone turns and goes the other way, you're not like, well, you know, there's a lot of ways. No, 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 there's only one way. So if you're going this way, okay, we're moving this way. We're all on the same team. We're all on the same, you know, we're, we're running the same track. We're just running different events. We're all striving for our best. But if someone all of a sudden says, you know what, I'm going to, you know, quit the team, or I'm going to run backwards on the track, or I'm going to go run for the other team, or I'm going to hide all of our equipment, it's like, uh, no, you're not. We're going to separate from you. So when we talk about peace, we're talking about when we don't create problems, because there's going to naturally be problems. Whenever you get people, there's going to naturally be problems. And, like on a track team, there's going to be different levels of skill. For example, if, you, if you've got a track team and you've got like the distance team, and they're running, you know, the half mile, quarter mile, mile, whatever, we're all working, doing the same workouts, we're all working together. But as you run, some maybe spent more time training in the summer. Maybe some are naturally more gifted physically in it. Maybe some are stronger mentally and, and can push themselves through. But... You're, you're striving for yourself, but you're also, these are your teammates. You're trying to bring them along. The good teammate is going to, you know, maybe they're going to be the state champion, but at, at the same time, they're going to bring their team along and encourage them. They're not going to come in and say, you know, well, if you guys were just as good as me, we would have won the meet last night. You'd find somebody to say like, you know, we almost won the meet last night. You guys are making great progress. You know, we just keep working together. Let's have a good workout tonight. Maybe we can get them next time. You know, for example, I mean, that's a corny example, but that's the idea. We're on the same team. And so Romans chapter 14, I think, brings this out. Uh, It uses the word peace. It's talking about things in a community setting. And it's identified here. I'm reading in the NIV now. Uh, It's it's laid out or titled in the NIV. They provided the title for the chapter, The Weak and the Strong. Now, that doesn't mean the believer and the unbeliever. That doesn't mean the godly and the godless. That means two believers. The, the, the strong, they're the ones that are, they have strong arms, strong knees, and they're running on a straight path. The weak would be those whose arms aren't as strong or knees are weak, and they've got some things cluttering the path. If you are the strong, you're not supposed to go over there and mock the weak. You're supposed to keep peace with them But as the writer of Hebrews says, do everything you can to strengthen their arms and strengthen their knees and keep that path straight. Now, again, there's no talk about compromise. We're not saying, 
okay, well, you know, there's many ways to please God. Well, no, we all come to God through Christ, and we're all pursuing the image of Christ. We're being transformed. There's not all these other, not everything's the same. There is darkness, there is deception, there is falsehoods, and then there is the truth. And to say, well, we want to have peace and accept deceit as truth, that's now evil because you're now lying. You're saying, well, this is this falsehood is the same as the truth. We all just need to get along. It's like, no, this falsehood is a falsehood. To keep peace, I've got to call this a falsehood. I've got to bring a sword. I've got to divide it. Now, if you're over here and you're struggling to understand and you're pursuing it, well, we're going to help you along. But if you're now presenting, well, I think, and you present a falsehood, well, no, that, we can't have peace with that. We're going to have to identify that. Well, here we go, right here. Watch this, how, how fine this is, and you know, almost like surgical as far as Paul identifying this. Okay, I'm going to say up front, this is talking about people who are struggling to, in a sense, understand the grace of God and are, are just almost similar to what we see in the book of Hebrews. They want to go back to the law or have some kind of legalistic standard to please God. And others who say, okay, I understand. Jesus Christ has done the work. I'm now in the process of being transformed into his image. It doesn't matter what I eat. Now, again, you can be a glutton or you can eat bad food. Or you can destroy your body. Now we've got a problem. But you're not going to get closer to God because... Uh, of, of what you eat you, you understand you, i'm sure you understand that so we're not saying you know everything's fine because there are some things you shouldn't eat for example poison or there's certain things you shouldn't do uh, because they're going to slow you down well hebrews chapter 12 let us throw off the sin and everything that so easily entangles us if you're trying to have a ministry and you're not taking care of yourself physically you're going to end up you know not being able to perform physically because you've not taken care of yourself that doesn't mean you're closer to god it means you didn't take care of your physical needs paying your bills can be yeah i didn't pay my bills so now i don't have a place to live it's like well how are you going to have a ministry if you can't even take care of yourself uh paul tells timothy he says if a man can't manage his own house how can he be in charge of the church I mean, you're not gonna, don't put someone in place that are going to be like on the board and their whole house is a disaster. If they ha- can't manage their family, well, don't give them a spot of leadership in the church. I mean, it's like kind of common sense. That doesn't mean that person's not a Christian. It means don't let them, they're not, they need to take care of these things. Nonetheless, weak and strong. Now we're talking here in this verse, not about everybody in the world. We're talking about people who are believers in the community. Chapter 14, verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Now, again, there are some things that are worth having disputes about and some things that are things that it's like, just let it go. Or, and you you should understand this, if a person just comes into the faith or they haven't been doing Bible study, there's certain things they're going to say or do or think they're a believer but they're going to not have a, a complete thought with it. It's like you do understand the ramifications if you stop right there. You've got to push that theology a little further. You're going to have to think a little bit more. But they're at this point, so it's like, mm-hmm, right. God loves everyone, right, okay. And we move on, but it's like, 
you let people go. You don't make up disputable matters that people aren't ready for. Uh, I've heard people say things like, oh, you know, they may be a believer, but it's like, you know, we, we really don't know if, you know, the, the account of Jesus' birth is accurate because it was stories that were told and they wrote it down as the best they remembered it. It's like, now, if that person's a believer and they're reading their Bibles, it's like, I, uh, yeah, right, they wrote some things down, right, and a lot of it was handed down, right. And then you may say something like, yeah, but a lot of these things were written pretty early, you don't like say, you know, you unbeliever. You, it's like you understand where they're at. They're coming out of a pagan culture. The very fact that they're considering and moving this direction. Okay, you understand what I'm saying. Now, if someone comes in a Bible study and they say something like, well, now we all understand, and they start talking like Bill Maher, it's kind of like, okay, right, we got to now cut that snake's head off and, uh, you know, teach them some things, you know. Not, not to destroy them, but it's like, okay, if you're, if you're giving that kind of an expertise opinion from your academic background and things you've researched, then we're going to have to give you some academic information <coughs> also and destroy your position. Now, do you understand a little bit about what I'm saying? I, I, I need to maybe spend time. Here, here's what Paul says. Here's what Paul says. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything. But another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now, again, this is not about being vegan or not eating meat, not dietary problems. This is talking about religious. You're closer to God because you don't eat meat. Uh, Now, notice who's strong and who's weak. The man who eats anything is realizing this has no bearing on my relationship with God. That's the man whose faith is strong. Now, in this illustration, it also may mean that man's faith, he really doesn't have, doesn't have any idea about what, it, even about the law of Moses. Maybe you read the Old Testament, you go, oh man, I better not eat pork. But maybe he has no understanding. But assuming that they have full understanding of the Bible, one man is going to eat everything. Uh, the other one only eats vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. In other words, we're talking about both up and down. It, it, the person that is say, well, I, I'm going to follow this legalistic code, but this person isn't following legalistic code. It's like, well, you don't understand what this person knows, and maybe don't, don't judge him. Or the person who thinks they understand, they're considered strong, don't look down. You don't know what this person doesn't know yet. This person is missing information. Maybe this person has information. Same for me. Sometimes I look at people, it's like, well, they maybe understand something I don't understand. So I'd be the weak believer. It's like, I better just wait and see. Sometimes I have more understanding. I look at people, it's like, come on, catch up. It's like, well, give them some time. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Now, these are all God's servants. These are all believers. And God is working with all of them. God is working with me. I can tell you just examples and i have before of just this the phases i've gone through in the last you know 50 years of being an active christian the things that i've you know phases i've gone through sometimes i'm really embarrassed on what i thought believed practiced and i think i probably will be when i look back at today someday in the future to his own master he stands or falls and he will stand for the lord is able to make him stand see even though he doesn't have full understanding He's going to do all right. God has his, he's working for the Lord. He's the Lord's servant. 
He's not called to do this task. He's called to do this task. And if this man is con- committed to that task, God is going to make sure he gets it done. Yeah, but he doesn't know the things I know. God's going to make him stand in spite of your judgment of him. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Now we know very clearly, Paul says in Colossians, don't, don't consider one day more holy than the other and don't let anyone judge you. If you say, I, I'm not going to observe the Sabbath, don't let anyone judge you based on a Sabbath. Paul says, no, don't go there. Don't follow. you got this group of people that are highly critical of legalistic practice, and you're over here saying, no, I'm, I, I don't honor the Jewish law. It's like, and they all this peer pressure. Don't, don't, don't let that happen. You run your race. And here it is again. One man considers a day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced by in his own mind. In other words, there's a place, and I think Paul, being a teacher, could set you down and explain. Again, this is my understanding of Paul's teaching. Maybe I'm, you can, maybe I'm going to expose my ignorance right now. But I think Paul could set you down, and it, just like the writer of Hebrews is saying, that's the old covenant. This is the new covenant. That was the old sacrifice in the rituals. This is the new sacrifice, and this is the, our new priesthood. You don't need to follow the Sabbath. This is something that we're going this direction. Now, if you understand that, you run in this. But if you don't understand it, and you're still stuck in the Sabbath, it's like, well, Paul, I think, could sit down and explain to get you over on this side. But he's saying right here, if that person isn't ready to understand the Sabbath regulations, don't stop their pro- they're, they're moving this way they're moving this way and they say well i i always honor the sabbath it's like well you're going to get to a point eventually where you're going to cross a, it's like wait a minute if I, if it's christ the sabbath has no bearing every day we're honoring christ the the rest is in christ it's not in a day oh and then they go guess what i understand and it's like well welcome to the party we've been here for the last however but if you come over here and crush that person, you just broke the peace. They've stopped. Now they're, and you can see this, I've been in this. Now the battle becomes between me and them in this debate theologically, and we just get further and further and further apart. And I start trying to find things in their life. Ah, you see, because you do this, you believe this, this is what's wrong with your life. There's other things. Ah, look what translation of the Bible they're reading. No wonder they're reading the, the NIV Bible. That's what's causing them all. That's Satan's Bible. And, and uh, you know, it's like, whoa, my gosh, where, where, what, what does this all start with? Well, they honored the Sabbath or they didn't honor the Sabbath. And now you've got this huge divide. It's like, were they going this way? Now, again, you understand, this is Paul writing. We're not talking about compromising uh, because he's going to have very strong statements. Mark those who cause division. Uh, But this is not division. This would be, in a sense, you would be the one causing division because you're not keeping the peace over some trivial matter. It takes a little bit of maturity to, to be able to, well... How, how I just an example like I, I teach middle school, so I, I've got fifth and sixth graders, 10, 11, 12 year olds, and it's like hopefully I'm the mature one in the room, okay? And that's debatable at different times. Sometimes I get a look from certain kids. It's kind of like, even we know better than that, Mr. Weimer. You know, so I mean, you know, but let's just go with this idea that I'm the tallest one in the room at least. Um, but I see these, these, these students, and, and sometimes their behavior is very immature. Not really wrong. It's just kind of like, you think that's funny? It's like, you think that's appropriate? 
you know, you think you're going to get friends acting like that? You know, I could tell myself that. But uh, it's, it's like you see their behavior, but it's like at the same time you realize they're, they're fine. They're 10-year-olds becoming 20, 30, 40-year-olds. They're on their way. So you don't, you don't bring judgment on them. You, you let them be who they are. And the same thing with believers. You, you, they're at different levels. And so this says, goes on, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, if you have scripture, if you have a conviction, if you think you're making God, you're pleasing God, not, not, making God, not, not buying his grace, but you think you're progressing in, you know, you're being transformed into Christ's image by the food you eat or the days you observe, okay, that, there's much more to it than that, but let's go with that right now, okay? Well, I, I remember in college. Now, I haven't always been of the opinion the Sabbath day was, uh, was well, I don't want to say passed away, but it was like under the covenant. I, I consider every day the same. The coach, uh, they wanted me to run 1,000 miles that summer. So I had to run 14 miles a day to get uh, 1,000 miles, and I did. Um, but I set up my schedule where I'd run 14 miles every day except Sundays. And I'd turn, I'd, we had to mail in our schedule, that how many miles we ran each week, had to mail on the, the list. And I kept, had a little chart on my wall, and I'd run seven miles out, seven miles back every day. And it got, you know, I, I was doing pretty good. Uh, but I, I got to stop right there because I want to talk about my season, but nonetheless, I was running. The idea was I would not run on Sundays. Now, this was in the 70s. Training has changed since the 70s until now. We, we, they, they, we, we never trained the way we did in the 70s now in, in cross country. Uh, but the coach wrote me a letter, says, you know, I really wish you would run Sundays. Now, I'm already running 14 miles, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And Sunday, I'm taking the day off because not for, not for training reasons, not for uh, physical reasons, not for some kind of a training program, but because it's Sunday. You don't run, you don't work on Sunday. And he, this guy was a Christian, he says, you shouldn't worry about it being the Sabbath. He says, you, you can run on Sunday. Now, again, now, we, now we'd question, should a person actually run 14 miles every day of the summer? It's like you're going to wear your body down. And that, that's another whole conversation. That's not the conversation. We're talking about the Sabbath. But I was so con- committed to the Sabbath that I, I wasn't going to run 14 miles. It's probably a good thing that I took a day off. Uh, but there, the, a more mature Christian was trying to tell me, uh, and he was, uh, you don't need to take Sunday off. That doesn't make you holier. That's not what God wants you to do. But I would have none of it. I would have none of it. It's like, no, I'm committed to God, and I'm, just, I'm taking Sundays off. And that would explain this verse. See, I was committed. I was committed to God. I'm not going to train. There's one thing more important than cross-country, that's my commitment to God. I'm not going to run on Sunday because I'm a Christian. So right here, each man should be fully convinced in his own mind, and I was. Now, I think I could have ran without violating my Christian principles. Now, like I said, physically, I may have burned out because I had at least had one day off. I really felt good on Mondays. Taking one day off, I really felt great on Mondays. should have took a clue, but nonetheless, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind he who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. See, I was doing it to the Lord. Now, that's not fully understanding the revelation that the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate. 
but okay you're trying to be godly you're moving this direction we get you a little more information you're gonna realize ah sundays are just another day of the week that does there's not like a special day uh uh he who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. Meaning if, you, if you've eaten a steak, you know, even like Paul talks about meat sacrifice and idol, it's like, eats that, five minutes, all right, thank you. Oh, I'm not going to get to my little chart I made. Oh, And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. So meaning the guy who, who doesn't eat meat is praying and thanking God and committed to God. I'm not eating this because I'm committed to you. Uh, the other guy said, well, pass it over here. I'm going to thank God, and I'm going to eat the steak. It's like, which one's right? Well, at this point in this conversation, they're both doing it to honor God. One has more understanding than the other one. One needs to, to have, you know, in a sense, stronger arms, uh, and they, but you need to have, make sure you keep their path straight. Don't let this become a point of division, and now they start stumbling on their race towards the truth uh, of transformation because they're stumbling over your, your personality. For none of us, here it is, verse 7, for none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. We all live in this community, and we will die and continue as a community. We, like we read at the end of that chapter 12, we've come to uh, thousands upon thousands of righteous men made perfect. That's, that's where we're going. We're not going to go to our own isolated heaven. We're going to live as a community. We're going to die and continue as a community. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother, dead and the living? That means those on earth and those in heaven. Why do you judge your brother, or why do you look down on your brother, for we will all stand before the judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess to the God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to the Lord. Logos, you're going you're to explain. Why weren't you running on Sunday? Because I was honoring the Lord. It's like, all right. I mean, it's like I was doing it for you. My understanding was this is what you wanted. It's like, okay, you're going to have to explain that. Why weren't you running? Well, I was trying to honor you. I mean, two people may be saying the same thing. Now, there's going to be that line, you know, where we're talking about, you know, you're not moving in your, your progression. Does that make sense to you, what I'm talking about? Because I'm, I'm pursuing Christ. And if it's, I'm convinced in my heart that this is the right thing to do, God is going to honor that as I'm going through. Now, there's, there are things that are sinful. And if those are things that if you know they're sinful and you're still trying to flaunt them before God, or you're not dealing with them, you now are what we'd say backslid, or now you're now reverting, or you're not being sanctified. Now again, this, I hope that makes sense, because it's like chapter, chapter 40, verse 30. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. This goes along with that idea in Hebrews. Pursue peace. Hunt down peace among the community. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another instead. Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Does that fit perfect with make level paths for your feet? Make level paths for Don't put junk on the track for the other people. If, if it's not an issue, they're running their race. Keep the track clear for them. As one, and again, it's in con the context is in 
who understands the Sabbath and who understands dietary laws. Who th- they're trying to do it for God. They're trying to run the race for God. Well, keep the track clear and let them and God keep running this race and you help them along the way. We're not talking about someone who's in rebellion towards God. But if anyone regards something as unclean, okay, verse 14, as one who is in the Lord Jesus, watch, here it is, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. And I think we can see that in Colossians about a holy day. No day is different than another day. This is my understanding of Paul's teaching. He says, as one who's in the Lord, I know what I'm talking about. I'm an apostle. I'm fully convinced as an apostle in the Lord that no food is unclean. And I think we could make that case very clear. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him, it is unclean. If I were to go out and run on a Sunday in 1979, uh, it would have been like, the whole time I'm running, I shouldn't be doing this. God is not going to bless this. It's like, okay, well then you better go home and sit down and don't mow the yard, just sit. Because you, you're, you're, you're bringing judgment on yourself because you think you're doing something against God. I'm reading right here. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. That doesn't mean the truth. It, 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 it means for him, his understanding at that point, don't do it. If your brother is distressed, oh wait, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Don't throw junk on the track. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Meaning it even, the kingdom of God is not a matter of do you get to eat this or not? Then don't, it doesn't matter if you eat it or if you don't eat it. Don't make that the issue. If they don't want you to eat it, don't eat it. Eat something else. But of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. There's a place where you can be pleasing to God and also approved by men. You're not putting a stumbling block in front. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace. This is the verse I was aiming for. I know it took us a while to get here. Let us therefore make every effort, the same idea, pursue to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. That is what they're talking about, making level paths. Do not destroy the work of God. That means he's working in this other individual's life for the sake of food. For you're going to have your flaunt, your fact that I know more about the Bible than you do. I'm going to mow my yard on Sunday. It's like, okay, you're, you're causing a problem. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Notice right, meat and wine in the same context, the same concept. So whatever you do, believe, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Don't make an issue out of it. If someone's struggling with it, just go on to the next subject. I mean, some, you can just see how I could or some people could. Every time you preach, you bring up the controversial issues and just grill people with these. And it's like they all go away, which maybe is why there's only you know, a handful of people here today. I've, I've done that. <laughs> Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves or dokimazo. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eating. his eating is not from faith. 
If you know this is fine, then you just keep doing it. Now, we're not talking about homosexuality. We're not talking about transgender. We're not talking about pornea, sexual immorality, because that's, there's no, you may not understand the full ramifications of how evil it is, but as you go on the truth, you're going to understand more and more why this is absolutely no, no, no. We're talking here about the things that are required in the law of Moses in this case, but now allowed. It, it, sexual immorality was never like, well, we're not really sure how to. It's like, it's pretty clear. So, I mean, th- th- this is, you can't just go, well, so we should accept everybody. Every, every time someone steps up in, in some kind of a church and says, well, I'm a gay, transgender uh, pastor, and we accept all here, it's kind of like, okay, you are not pursuing Christ. Yes, we are. Let me say it again. You are not pursuing Christ. Christ as identified in the scripture. So you're pursuing a different Christ. This you're not pursuing this Christ. Now, if a person is struggling with unclean food coming out like the, the background of the Jewish law or hot holy days or certain things, they are pursuing, they just haven't got a clear picture of it. Uh, so I mean there's there's that the dividing point there. But a man who has doubt is condemned if he eats because he is eating not from faith but everything that does not condemn, oh, excuse me. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. There's your summary verse. If you if you don't have confidence that God is approving what you're doing, you're looking to God and you think I'm becoming more godly because I'm not running on Sundays, that's good. But if you don't have faith, if, you're, if you're, you think, uh, I shouldn't be running on Sundays, but I'm going to continue to run on Sundays, well, now you don't have faith. You're, you're, you are in sin. Now, you can run on Sundays, in, in, I think, in my understanding. You can go out and work out on a Sunday. But if you think you shouldn't, you don't have faith. I think I can run on Sunday because I got faith. This is, this is in line with God's Word. And the closer I get... Or if I'm wrong, the closer I get to Christ, eventually I'm going to realize, oh, i got to stop running on Sundays. Uh, that's kind of where we're at right there. I've got this great chart. I'm really excited about this chart for like three weeks now. On the end, right here at the very bottom of page four, something, I, I'm trying to simplify all this. Some things that make the path level for all believers. And that is living at peace, being holy, not missing the grace of God, no bitter root grows up. I want to explain these things. No sexual immorality, no godlessness. And then that last one, do not refuse him who speaks. Uh, that, and it eventually gets to that a very it's a, a mystical setting of where, uh, just like God was speaking from the mountain to Israel, God is speaking to us today through his word, but his spirit is living in us and is leading us in this direction. And you can, you can say no to, to that, but let God continue to lead you and again, in that mystical sense of God, God's voice, God's spirit is in you. Uh, if, if you are doing these other things, peace, holy, uh, the grace, trying to avoid the bitter root, no sexual immorality, not becoming godless, then you can, you can bet, you can gar- almost guarantee that God is leading you with, with some kind of impression, some kind of voice inside through his word with his spirit. Now, if you are not holy, if you are not in the grace, if you're in conflict with you know, all the believers, uh, you're sexually immoral, then I can also guarantee uh, you're not hearing that mystical voice of God. You're searching, you're looking. But if you get these things taken care of, then there's going to be another that's going to continue to lead you 
in the light. We're talking about growth. We're talking about, see, running the race marked out for us. Talking about staying on a path. You're going to need light. You're going to need direction. You're going to need the voice of God. And again, that comes through the Word of God, but the Spirit also lives in us. And as you get closer and closer, you'll be able to discern right from wrong. But I've got to quit. I appreciate you being here. Come tomorrow night. I'll give you a box of books. I hope. I hope they come. So I'll pray, and we're done. Father, do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for allowing us to be believers at this time in history. And I do ask that we would handle these things correctly, that we would mature and be able to deal with these things in a mature manner and help others, along with ourselves, to move along the path closer to you. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Thank you for your time.